Right. Good morning. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one is where we're going to be at this morning. And I want to thank you, Perry, for filling in for me last week. If you uh, were not here, if you were traveling last week. And uh, you missed the sermon. He preached a, an amazing sermon on courage. And I would highly encourage you to, to check it out. You can go to our website or you can go to, uh, if, you didn't, if you do podcasting, we actually have a podcast. You can download the podcast or you can go onto Facebook and actually watch the, uh, the video on there. But I, I appreciate, uh, Perry, you, uh, you filling in and, and uh, we, we, had a, we had a good trip. Uh, up to Ohio, and, and uh, it was good to see a whole lot of family. Uh, Cam's family got together. We saw about 50 of her family, uh, many of them that we haven't seen for, for a couple years, and uh, it, it, was really, it was really encouraging, and so I appreciate you guys allowing me to go up there to visit them, and uh, I do want to let you know that we've got to deal with a pretty significant issue within the church family. Uh, so we came back from Ohio and somebody had committed a crime at our house. There was some vandalism done and I've decided that we are going to um, uh, get some new dogs because my dogs evidently are no help at all. And so Cam has talked about getting like a therapy dog for hope. I'm Yes, that was awesome. <laughs> On cue and everything. <laughs> Instead, I think a couple of Dobermans would be would be helpful, and we're currently looking into what it takes to get a uh, sprinkler system that is um, activated by motion. And so I don't know if that exists yet, but we're we're looking. At, and I'm not. Nobody has officially confessed to doing this, but I have a pretty good idea who might have been involved. <laughs> And so I'm asking the church to um, pray for that, that all those who were involved in this uh, would, uh, and this goes back to our peacemaking um, principles, that they would, be, they would humble themselves, feel conviction, confess their sins, repent, plead for forgiveness, and accept the consequences. That's outside right now. So, that was my weekend when we came back. All right. No. Uh, so, seriously, though, uh, I'm not sure how I transition now. Uh, Second Peter. We are, so we're starting a new, a new sermon series uh, entitled, How People Change. And uh, I am super excited about this series because th- this, is a, this is a series that we all need to hear myself maybe most because at the end of the day, we, we all want change. We all desire change deep down inside. There, in fact, I don't think I've ever met somebody who's honest who says, you know what, I'm content all the time with myself. I've never met that person. And so we've got this desire, and we try to do the right thing. We go to church, we 
We maybe even attend a, a Bible study or a small group. We read our Bibles. Maybe we, we've even gone on a few mission trips, but it seems like in all of our effort, we still struggle to see the change in our hearts that we desire. It just never comes. And, and I want to ask, where are you this morning? Maybe you come in here this morning and the tension in your marriage just c- continues to, to grow or you, you find your your anger and your frustration growing and maybe even spiraling out of control at times. You, your de- depression seems to be grabbing hold of you more and more. You're feeling, feeling overwhelmed by maybe financial issues or, or just the busyness of life or feeling like there's all these demands and these deadlines and you're, you're just constantly worried about letting people down. Your anxiety, your worry continue to paralyze you. You continue to feel that everybody just looks at you as a, as a failure. Or maybe you've got a million friends on Facebook, but you constantly feel lonely. And I'm not sure where you come in today, what, what issues you come in with, but I, I do know this, that there is hope in the gospel. And even if you've been raised in church, I, I, I feel like if you've been raised in church and you still struggle with with change in your heart, there's almost more embarrassment and guilt that's involved with that, and so it makes it even more difficult. And the book, How People Change, that really a lot of this series is inspiring. Uh, It's a great book. In fact, the first chapter is called The Gospel Gap. The book is worth picking up just to read the first chapter. And what you're going to see in this chapter and what you're going to see in the passage of Scripture that we're going to be taking a look at in 2 Peter is that it is possible, even if you've been raised in the church and you know the Bible, to not experience lasting, true change in your life. Because there's this problem, there's a gap in our gospel. See, often in the church, we recognize what Jesus has done in our past, We talk about the cross and how he's forgiven our sins and we trust in him. And so we talk about the past and we talk about the future. We talk about the the future of, of heaven and spending eternity with Jesus. But often we fail to see how the gospel impacts the here and now. There's a gap there. And it's kind of like if your Christian life was a house, that you're living in a house, in the midst of the house there's like this this cave it's kind of like when we bought this building, right? If you, if you were around, we dug down and we found that there was this huge cavern that was being formed underneath the, the floor of our, our building because of an underground spring. And if we would have not dug down, we would have never found that and would have continued to grow. And what we're going to see in this series and in this passage even today is that often change is not easy. Uh, often change doesn't come nearly as fast as what we would like it to. And often what we have to do is we've got to dig down into the darkness of our hearts and expose it so that the light of the gospel can transform us. And what we're going to see in this passage in Second Peter is that it describes the gospel gap really, really well, but it also gives us hope that God can fill that gap. And so, it's 2 Peter chapter 1, where it's on page 1,120 of our Bibles. I'd like you to go ahead and turn there. I'm going to pray, 
And then we're going to walk through this passage together. Father, I very much recognize that apart from your spirit and your grace, that the knowledge that we're going to gain today will not be enough to transform our hearts. We desperately need your spirit to both convict and motivate us to live differently, to think differently. And I pray that you would help us to see the, the practical, the nuts and bolts of how that happens as we walk through this series together, and that you would transform our hearts, and that we would care for one, another, one another's souls really well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me give you some background, what's going on here in Second Peter. Second Peter is all about Peter dealing with false teaching that has, raised, that has been raised up within the church. And so First Peter, his first letter, was all about persecution. It was about the, the problems that were happening from outside of the church. And so Second Peter, he's dealing with problems that are arising within the church. And so there's false teaching going on. And he addresses that. Listen to how he exhorts them to grow in Christian virtue. That's how he starts off his letter. This is how you deal with, with false teaching. He says, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins." All right, we're going to stop there. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to walk through this passage, and there's actually a couple more verses, uh, verses nine or 10 and 11, that we're going to cover here in a minute. Now, first, what I want you to know, notice, look back at the, very, the third verse, what the source of our change is. And if you're taking notes, I would write this down. The source of our change is what? His divine power, God's divine power. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so, God is the ultimate source of both our salvation and our sanctification. The gospel is not simply about eternal life. It's about preparing us for eternal life. Now next, notice the path of God's power. Knowing and trusting in God and His, His promises. So His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, okay, so what's the path that we are granted all things pertaining to life and godliness? It's through the knowledge, and that, that word knowledge is really interesting. 
Now, typically in Greek, the word for knowledge is gnosko. This is not gnosko. This is epigonosko. And that little uh, prefix, epi, is we, we get our word like epic from. So this is like epic knowledge. This is, a, this is not just your average knowledge of something. This is like full knowledge. Uh, one commentary said it's intimate, personal, experiential knowledge of him. And so how do we receive power to change, to become godly? It's through knowledge, epigonosco, full knowledge, intimate, personal, experiential knowledge of him who called us, who drew us, who, us to his own glory and excellence. Okay, so he's calling us through this knowledge to, to be like him, his glory, his excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious. So he's called us, and that calling gives us something, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature. And so it's through the knowledge, the intimate knowledge of him and his promises that we become partakers. And that word partaker is another interesting word. It's got the Greek root of koinos, which you, maybe you've heard koinonia is a, is a great Greek word means fellowship. And so this word partakers, it's similar to that. Um, it says the word it can be translated as partner or companion. And so the Bible doesn't teach that one day we'll be like absorbed into God. Okay, some religions teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that one day we'll be like little gods. But it does say that one day that we will be made fully into his image. Okay, that's what he made us for, to be a reflection of his glory. And so sin has corrupted that. It's kind of made us like a, a foggy mirror. And so sanctification is wiping away the fog slowly so that we become a clearer image of the glory of God. And so one day when our sanctification is complete, we will be fully partakers of his image. We'll be full image bearers. And so we'll share in his, his character. And so Peter is saying that we are being changed. We're being transformed into the image of Christ by the power of God through that intimate knowledge of God and his promises. And so let me try to illustrate this. I need actually a couple of volunteers. Uh, preferably some kids, since we've got kids in here. Come on up, come on up. Uh, and Silas, come on up. All right. So, come on up, come up on stage. All right, give us your name. Silas. And your favorite superhero. Captain America. Captain America. All right, your name? Gabrielle. Gabrielle, and your favorite superhero? Batman. Batman. All right. All right, so Batman and Captain America. So you're a DC person and a Marvel person. Okay. All right, so let's have the DC person be our light. So, like, we are all... Well, we're not going to turn on yet because you don't have the power source. Okay, so we're all, like, light bulbs, right? Okay, and so you're, you're going to be my helper... You're going to hold the power cord. And so if we are all light bulbs, here, Silas, hold this, and uh, actually this side, and pretend like you're plugging it into the cross right back there. All right, don't actually plug it in, but yeah. All right, so the cross represents God. God is like our generator, okay? He is the source of our power for change, okay? And so if we are like light bulbs, we've got to be connected to that 
that source. And so hold the light bulb in one hand. Now that you got the cord, we'll turn the light on. There we go. Now you're light. All right. So here's, here's how it works. Now, if we're light and God is our source, the path of that power is this cord, which is the knowledge of the promises of God. It's believing and trusting in and knowing God intimately so that you believe in his promises. And so the, the, the light won't turn. Like if you're not connected to the cord, it doesn't matter how hard you try, how much effort you put in, your light's just not going to work, right? Okay, you can try really hard to change. It's not going to work. You don't have the source. You're not connected to the power. Or if maybe you are connected and you've got this cord, but the, the power source or the, the cord is kind of frayed because you've forgotten a lot of the promises and the light's not working. It's supposed to flash red. It'll probably do it like in three minutes after we sit down. It'll be flashing in my pocket and you'll notice it. But anyhow... There are times when uh, technology does not work. But there's times where, yeah, we're connected, but the power source is not giving us the full power because the cord has been frayed because we've forgotten. Thank you, guys. Go ahead and sit down. Now, the problem with this illustration, though, is that light bulbs are passive. Light bulbs are passive. They, they just they turn on or off based on whether or not they're connected to the power source. That's not how it works with our relationship with God and, and with, with change. There's effort. If you look back at the passage, verse 5, for this, for this reason, make every effort. And so there's a responsibility that we have. God's designed us that way. And so I want you to notice that this responsibility is more than just simply, it doesn't just come like, okay, if I memorize a certain amount of Scripture, then that'll be enough. Okay, it's more than just memorizing Scripture. It's more than just coming to church and attending. A lot of people think, well, if I just show up, that'll be enough. But notice, it, it, you have to take every effort to apply what God is teaching you to your life. And notice that our responsibility always comes second. Um, it says, because of this, make every effort. For this reason, for this very reason, make every effort. Every other religion reverses that and, and says, okay, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to make every effort so that God will act. But Christianity says, okay, God has already acted. And so because he's acted, our response to that action is now to make every effort. There's a huge difference between a husband who is trying to make every effort to please his wife because he's trying to earn her love versus a husband who is trying to make every effort to please his wife because he's already experienced his wife loving him. The latter is what Christianity is all about. We, we strive to change and to put on these characteristics because God has already shown his love for us. Now notice the list of virtues. He exhorts us to, to pursue. They build on one another. Uh, it starts with faith because everything, everything else flows from faith, and it culminates in love, specifically an agape kind of love. It's a, a love that is unconditional. It's a godlike love that's a preeminent Christian virtue. And then notice in verse 8 the benefits of practicing these virtues. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And unfortunately, many 
Christians today, they remain ineffective and unfruitful. But verse 9 explains why. Look back at verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And so they're ineffective, they're unfruitful. because Why? Because they're blind. They've got this spiritual amnesia. They've forgotten. They're blind because they've forgotten the power and the hope of the gospel for today. Uh, Paul Tripp puts it this way in his book. He says, people need to see that the gospel belongs in their workplace, their kitchen, their school, their bedroom, their backyard, their van. They need to see the way the gospel makes a connection between what they are doing and what God is doing. They need to understand that their life stories are being lived out within God's larger story so that they can learn to live each day with a gospel mentality. And so that's what this series is going to be all about. It's like, okay, how does this work? Nuts and bolts, how do we do this? How do we apply the gospel in everyday life? And so the first step is that we need to be able to recognize our own blindness. Everybody's got blind spots. Uh, the book mentions three blind spots, and I'm going to mention a fourth one that I see in this passage. The first blind spot or the first blindness or type of blindness is a blindness of identity. A blindness of identity. We often forget who we are in Christ. Uh, instead of rooting our identity and being a child of God, we often root our identity in what we do and our jobs and being a parent or uh, we root our identity in our, our kids, our spouse. Often our identity is rooted more in our performance than in God's grace. And so this lack of gospel-rooted identity, it often shows up in a number of different ways. First, often many Christians underestimate the, the presence of indwelling sin, the presence and the power of indwelling sin in their own hearts. And so we often don't take seriously the spiritual war that's raging inside of our hearts. We, we tend to think that our greatest problems are actually outside of us rather than inside of us. And because of this, we, we often don't get very excited about the gospel. Uh, we, we don't see the need for it. And because we don't see ourselves as desperate sinners, we never realize how amazing grace really is. We're going to sing amazing grace here in just a few minutes. And I would encourage you to listen to the words. I mean, when was the last time you called yourself a wretched man? Um, there's another kind of blindness, though. The second one is the blindness of God's provision. As Peter states here, in Christ we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. And so I think often we don't take that seriously. We look to other things as means for change. Peter, Peter uses two words here to make sure it's clear that he's not just talking about eternal life. He says life and godliness. That we would live a life that, is, that honors God from the time we accept Christ to the time we go home with Him. Uh, Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20, I, I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so Jesus didn't come and die for us and then just leave, but He left His Spirit to be within us. And His presence gives us everything that we need to become everything that we're supposed to become in Christ. And so do we really believe that? A third blindness is the blindness of God's process. Maybe we do believe that God has the power to change us, but 
we, we, we don't really understand how that works. We, we recognize, okay, I know that I'm supposed to be a new creation. I know that I've got a new identity in Christ, and I'm supposed to have a new potential because of that. And, but but we, we want that to happen like yesterday. And we don't recognize that there's, there's a process that's involved with it. And often that process is painful. As I look back at my life, most of the, the big growth moments in my life happen through the trials that God allows me to, to go through. And we, we need to recognize that it's a lifestyle of repentance and faith. And so part of the series is we're going to be talking through what does that look like in everyday life. Now, there's a fourth blindness that the book does not mention, but I see it in this passage. And it's, the, it's a blindness that especially impacts those who have been raised in the church. It's the blindness of cultural Christianity. You see, I, I, I think, um, especially if you've grown up in the church, the, and you know the lingo, you were raised to, to answer questions about the gospel with right answers, you know who Jesus is. You know why he came to die. You even believe the Bible, and at some point you were probably baptized. And yet, your heart was never fully captured by Christ. Your heart was never, you never fully trusted in Christ. Your, your eyes were never open to the significance of the gospel. I mean, that was my story. I grew up in church. And I knew all the stories about Jesus, but I never had that epigonosco, that, that, that knowledge of Christ that was intimate and personal. There was never a relationship there. And I believe in this passage, Paul is addressing more than just the, the nominal Christians or the, the Christians just that, that seem to be stuck and are ineffective. Uh, I think he's saying that, look, the practice of these virtues actually confirms your salvation. Look at verse 10. It says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't believe that Peter is saying that you can lose your salvation here. But I do believe he is saying that these virtues, if they're not evident and growing in your life, that it is right for you to question whether you are truly saved. If you don't see God's power working to change you, it's right for you to question whether or not you're actually connected to the generator, to the power source. Now, it may be, like I said before, that simply the cord has been frayed and you need to be reminded of the promises of God in your life. But if you look back and you just don't see any kind of evidence of God's power working to, to grow your faith and your knowledge in Him and your self-control and your steadfastness and your love for Him and for others, it may be that you're not plugged in. And maybe today God is calling you for the first time to get plugged in. Maybe today God is opening up your eyes for the first time to see the significance of your, your own sin and that you need to repent and trust in Christ for salvation. And he says if you do that, he promises that you will have everything that you need to live a fruitful and effective life for his glory. But do you believe that? Do you believe that God has given you everything you need pertaining to life 
and godliness. I think that's something that we all have to struggle to believe. It doesn't come naturally to us. And what happens often is when we fail to fully buy into to God's power to change us, and instead what we do, instead of being fruitful and effective, we end up filling the gap that's in our heart with, with other things. And so the book mentions seven things. I think there's many other things we probably fill our hearts with, but I, I want to just briefly mention the, the seven things that are in the book. These are ways that we tend to, to fill that gap and to, to substitute Christ with. And, and I, I would encourage you to think about, okay, which one of these do you relate to most? Maybe it's formalism. Uh, you, you busy yourself with church activities. I mean, this is me, right? Easy for me to do this. You busy yourself with church activities and believe that simply being present is enough, and yet all the church activities that you're invested in don't seem to result in any kind of lasting change. They don't seem to impact your heart. Or maybe for you, it's legalism. Like you grew up in a, a house full of rules, and you like rules, and you, you have a list of rules, and you live by those rules, and you expect everybody else to live by a, a list of rules, but there's not a whole lot of joy in your life because you're never celebrating God's grace. You're drawn to legalism because you feel like you're in control, because you can follow the rules. Or maybe for you, it's more like a mysticism or an emotionalism, okay? I see this a lot today, where maybe it's, you're just constantly looking for that next spiritual high. Uh, and you become more of a, a consumer of experience than really a committed member of the body of Christ. And so maybe that's what you're struggling with today. Maybe, maybe it's activism. This is definitely growing in our, our culture. You, man, you, you love to be part of a cause. You're constantly looking for another cause to be a part of. And, but that cause ultimately ends up defining your Christianity, you got a passion to contend for what is right, but you end up being consumed by it, and it overshadows any kind of joyful pursuit of Christ. Or maybe, and this is very true, especially in this area of the country where we're so close to Southern Seminary, but Biblicism, I mean, you just love theology. Uh, your library is huge. You know all the big theological words. You can quote Spurgeon and the Puritans, but you lack humility. You're known for being proud, critical, and tolerant. You know a lot, a lot about Christ, but it doesn't seem to translate to a Christ-like life. Or maybe for you, it's psychologyism, which I think is a made-up word, but they use it in the book. Uh, you've read a whole bunch of self-help books, and you're constantly looking for that next strategy to help other people, but you don't seem to be able to find the healing for yourself. You see Jesus more as a, a, as a therapist than a savior. Or maybe it's socialism. Uh, you just love being around the church, and you've taken the church's family to the extreme, but unfortunately, fellowship with your church family has replaced your dependence on and communion with Christ. I think if we're honest, some or maybe all of these things are ways that at, in seasons we, we tend to try to fill that gap, that gospel gap. And I'm sure there's more isms that we could talk about. I think you get the idea, though. Anytime that we, we try to, we, we fail to, to see the power of the gospel in the here and now, and we try to fill uh, that gap 
with other things. Often they're good things. Often they've got a hint of gospel truth to them, but often they're things that are meant to lead us to Christ. They're means to an end, but we make them the end in themselves. And by doing that, we reduce the gospel down to just one aspect that often displaces Christ in our life. And so my, my hope and my prayer as we walk through this series is that we would learn to fill that gap. Uh, my prayer is that we would grow in our trust and our reliance on God's power rather than our own or some man-made idea as the, as the source of change in our life. Uh, I pray that we would grow in our ability to, to see the gap in our own life and, and the reason that that gap exists and what we're trying to fill that gap with. I pray that we would, that we would see the blind spots in our lives and that we would learn to, to fill that gap with Christ, and that ultimately that we would experience lasting change, true change, as we grow in our, our knowledge, our intimate knowledge of Christ and His promises. And so a couple of opportunities that are out there for you, and I would highly encourage you, if you are not plugged into a missional community yet, uh, now is the time to really do that. In our missional communities, we're going to be walking through a small group series on how people change, this book. And the curriculum is phenomenal. This is one of the best books outside the Bible. This is one of the best books, the most life-changing books that I have ever read. And I don't say that lightly. And so I would highly encourage you, if you don't uh, have this book, pick it up. You can get it on Amazon. And I would encourage you to get plugged into a missional community. Another opportunity that we actually started this morning uh, in cross-training. Uh, we're going to be walking through a curriculum called Peacemaking. And it deals with uh, just conflict resolution, which I'm pretty sure everybody in this room deals with conflict at some level. And uh, it uses a lot of the same principles that we're talking about in the sermon series to, to help you deal with your everyday conflict, whether it's at your job or with your, your spouse or with your kids or your brothers, sisters, people at school, uh, it's going to give you some practical advice. And again, my, my hope at the end of the day, when, as we go through this, that we would be a church that cares really, really well for one another's souls, that we learn to, to speak the truth in love, that we learn to, to root out the idols that are in our hearts, and that through this we would see real and lasting change. And so let's pray one more time that God would help us as we, as we focus in on this. Father, again, I recognize that change does not come easy, and apart from your, your spirit, it is not possible for us to ha- experience change that ultimately glorifies you, which is our goal in life. And so I pray and I plead with you that, that through this series and as we dig into your word, that we would we would take it seriously, and this would be, this would be life-changing for all of us. I pray for those in this room right now that are really hurting, that are struggling with anxiety or just tension in their marriage, or maybe it's just a, a hidden sin. I pray that you would help foster humility in their hearts, that they would recognize their need for you, that they would rely on you, that they would trust you. For that change. Help us as a church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.